This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for February 12th. Canada's Auditor General delivers a damning report saying the final cost of the federal government's arrived CANAP is impossible to determine. We'll hear from Auditor General Karen Hogan. And the Power Panel digs into the costs and the controversy. Plus, Donald Trump says he supports Russian attacks on NATO allies that don't spend enough on defense. The CBC's Katie Simpson is here with the international reaction to that threat. We begin today with the controversy surrounding the federal government's Arrive Can app. A new report from Canada's Auditor General has flagged serious issues in the development of the app. It highlighted government agencies repeatedly failed to follow good management practices in the contracting, development, and implementation of the app. There was a lack of testing for app updates, which at one point resulted in 10,000 travelers being wrongly instructed to quarantine. And the total cost of the app is impossible to determine because of poor financial record keeping. The ArriveCan app was launched in April 2020 as a way to manage travel and quarantine during the COVID-19 pandemic. But critics said the app was confusing and frustrating. And according to the Auditor General, that confusion cost millions of dollars. Karen Hogan is the Auditor General, and she joins me now. Ms. Hogan, thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, your report uh, is filled with criticism uh, about the way this app was managed and how the contracts were awarded. You may not be able to answer this because of the deficiencies in the actual record keeping that you highlighted, but where exactly did this situation go so wrong? I would tell you that what we found is that the confusion started early on at the start of the pandemic when the Canada Border Services Agency and the Public Health Agency of Canada didn't set out an agreement between the two of them to know who would be responsible for the development and the implementation of the ArriveCan application. And in that sort of accountability void, um, neither party put into place what I would say are sort of fundamental best practices when it comes to Project management, so things as simple as an objective and goal for a project and then having a budget. It's really difficult to manage to a budget when you don't have a budget. And so that would have been the start of it. And then um, this disregard for some of the most basic um elements when it comes to procurement processes, maintaining financial records and contracting continued throughout the development and application of the application. Okay, so there was no sort of alignment between the key departments and no clear overarching blueprint or a plan uh, from the beginning. There's been a lot of talk about the situation, this being in the pandemic, and that has played a role in how government did a lot of its spending. But from what you've seen, does, do, do the problems with the ArriveCan app, were they typical? for what government was doing at the time, or were they exceptional even under those circumstances? So I do want to acknowledge that this was happening um, at a time that was confusing and uncertain for so many that if you put yourself back into March and April of 2020, um, it's sometimes hard to do. But the public service was asked to respond quickly and act swiftly to support Canadians. And at the time, the Secretary of the Treasury Board gave the public service that flexibility and said, in order to act quickly, don't worry about all of the rules or all of the hoops that you would normally jump through when you have to um, issue contracts, for example. But it was very clear that the public service was expected to continue to document um, that they made decisions with due regard for the use of public funds and that they could be answerable 
for uh, the the decisions they made, and and that was missing. So an emergency is not a reason to throw all the rules out of the window. Okay, I, I want to get to a little bit more on the accountability stuff in, in just a second, but but first I want to talk about the price. I mean, when this was initially announced, I, I believe the Prime Minister said that the, the initial cost for this app would be around $80,000. Now, you're not going to get cloud management and call centers and all of the levels of support for this sort of thing for, for $80,000, but you've got it at $59.5 potentially higher. What would have been a reasonable price for a project like this, for an app with all of the other requirements uh, to make it work? So that's a difficult question to answer. Um, you, you could probably do that here with hindsight and look back and say, gee, this would have been really simple. But you have to remember that there were so many different um, changes to the rules and expectations at the at the border. So imagine at the beginning, um, it was just about having a quarantine plan. Then it became providing proof that you had been vaccinated. Then it was testing before you arrived, when you arrived, after you arrived. So all of those changes made, made matters more complicated. At the beginning, this was about digitizing a form to help speed up the collection of information at the border, but it really became so much more when you think about protecting um, people's private information, when you think about bilingualism, the security that's needed around such an app, and the linkages with other other apps that were out there. Um, so it's hard to put a price tag, but it's clear that the financial records were not properly maintained, and it's difficult to know the exact cost of the arrive can app. Okay, so so we have a price tag that is you know high, and, and it's unclear uh, exactly why it ended up going there. Because as you point out, uh, Auditor General, uh, the IT staffing firm GT Strategies, which which was at the center of this and, and which is under some scrutiny right now, it was involved in drafting uh, uh, contracts that it was able to get. Is this situation so difficult because? of GC strategies because it was picked and given so much control over the process? Is the outside consultant so central to these problems? So what we found was that there was um, a prolonged dependency on third-party contractors, not just on GC strategies. And that prolonged dependency really uh, increased the dollar value paid for the application, which is one of the reasons why we concluded that the public service didn't get the best value for money for Canadians when it came to this application. Um, now, the matter you're raising about GC strategies being involved in setting some of the requirements for a competitive contract should not have happened. Mm. The Canada Border Service Agency gave an advantage to a vendor that other vendors did not have. And, and that shouldn't happen. And our recommendation was clear that they should ensure it doesn't happen again. Um, but th this just speaks to why it's important for public service to document well the decisions they make and the judgment calls they make. So if ever there is someone who wants to question, was this prudent or the right decision, that there's something there to support the actions that were taken. So you, you said they were dependent on the outside consultants. You've also talked about how these outside consultants uh, were inviting civil servants to dinner. Uh, the Global Mail has reported that some civil servants may have improperly taken part in an online uh, whiskey tasting event. Um, I know you didn't investigate these because these are already being look in, looked into by, say, the RCMP and, and, and others. But, but I wonder, Ms. Hogan, had, were the RCMP not looking into this already? Would you have referred these matters to the RCMP for further investigation? Is this the sort of th thing that your office would have flagged as a possible significant violation of the way the civil service is supposed to operate? 
So I think there's two things at play here. One is about the code of conduct and respecting the Canada Border Services Agency's code of conduct. And that's the internal investigation that's ongoing by the agency. And we didn't want to double up on our efforts. We're going to be watching that really closely to see what the outcomes are of that investigation. And the second matter is whether or not something was of a criminal nature here. Well, the expert in deciding that is really really the RCMP. It is not my audit office. Um, you know, would we have referred things? In a normal situation, we would have done our audit. And if we uncovered things that we thought were were questionable or suspicious uh, of a potential criminal behavior, we would have referred things. But in this case, the RCMP had already begun uh, or had already been referred a matter around contracting practices. So I spoke to them. And um, while I do not know if their investigation is uh, started or on going or where they will take it, I did tell them that once our report was made public, which happened today, if they would like access to our file and the evidence that we have, they could formally request it and we would provide it to them. Okay, so because of those limitations, you, you didn't look into these matters, uh, perhaps to the degree that you would have uh, had these other processes not been going on. Am I understanding that correctly? And that, that's why you haven't found anything necessarily that would have warranted a code of conduct investigation or a police investigation? Absolutely. We didn't want to compromise the ongoing internal investigation nor get in the way of a potential investigation by the RCMP. But we will keep a close eye on that internal one to see where that ends up. And and we can always decide that we would like to do more work if we're not satisfied with um, where that went or the responses that come out of that internal investigation. What was the government's role in oversight here, um, Ms. Hogan, in, in terms of, I know this was a CBSA um, uh, app, but was procurement involved in, you know, approving uh, the, the increases and the extra contracts? Would Treasury Board, Privy Council, the PMO, any of the other departments have noticed this or been consulted on this or been asked for approval as this work just grew and grew and grew and the costs kept increasing? So I would take you back to probably two of two of our findings. And if we go back to 2020, at the start, um, as I mentioned, the, the Secretary of the Treasury Board uh, gave the entire public servants a lot of flexibility in order to act quickly. Um, and But in this case, there was a lot of different orders that came out of the Emergency Act about measures at the border. And all of those drove sort of the changes and the, and the need to have uh, the ArriveCAN application updated. Um, so I, I would have expected um, that there would have been a, a good file maintained on how there was briefings or uh, involvement of senior officials. Uh, we really focus in on once the government has given a direction to the public service, what does the public service do with that? And as I mentioned, there was no governance structure put in place. And so oversight was really lacking or thin and very little uh, was documented around that. And, and that shouldn't happen. Um, most of these contracts were small. I would have imagined they were treated like contracts in the normal course of operations. Um, but the, you needed better oversight mm. and really the fundamentals of what should be in a contract, like clear deliverables and the skills and competencies of workers. Those were missing in many of the documents that we looked at. So just as a final point, who should have been providing that oversight? We know there are two uh, civil servants now who are suspended without pay pending an investigation, and I know that's outside of the purview of your work. Are, are these the people who should have been providing that oversight? Should have been political oversight, or are there other people in the system? I know the president of the CBSA has retired. Who should have been 
who should have been providing that oversight that you say was missing? So it's a bit of a complicated answer. I would have expected at the beginning that the Public Health Agency of Canada, because they were responsible for making sure that the measures at the border were properly implemented, that they would have had a lot of oversight over this. But they had asked the Canada Border Services Agency to help them develop the app and to implement it. Uh, so, you know, there, as I said, the, the lack of clarity over who was supposed to be the accountable party was part of the confusion here. Um, ultimately, I would expect that the deputy head of any organization uh, would be answerable for decisions made by uh, by the organization but I would also expect that um, management so looking at assistant deputy ministers director generals and directors to set the tone about really following the the procurement guidelines and policies and good project management practices and we didn't see evidence of that happening at many levels and so you know it's ultimately the deputy head but I think there are many levels that could have and should have done better. So this is a total systemic failure nobody was really in charge nobody really laid out a plan and nobody really was minding the store as it moved through the steps I mean have you ever seen anything like this in your years as an auditor general? So I've looked at many contracts uh, throughout the pandemic, and while we always find few opportunities for improvement, um, in here it, it is a bit of a head-scratcher about the glaring disregard for some of the most basic rules when it comes to uh, financial management, contracting, and just project management in general. Auditor General Karen Hogan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Well, not surprisingly, opposition leaders pounced on the Liberals for their role in this Arrive Can controversy. He wants to hold someone to account for the Arrive scam. Why not hold the one person who had the authority to create the Arrive scam and who had the authority to stop the Arrive scam? And that's the Prime Minister of Canada. Well, let's talk about the garbage decisions of this Liberal government. The, the Auditor General found that the Liberals wasted $60 million on an app, the Arrive Can app, that no one uses and doesn't work. All at a time when Canadians are struggling with their groceries and their rent. I'm joined now by Charles Sousa. He's the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Public Services and Procurement. Thank you for coming in today, sir. Thank you, David. You heard Jagmeet Singh call this a garbage uh, decision by your government. You heard the Auditor General call it a head-scratcher. What's your reaction to this report? Now, listen, we appreciate the Auditor General's report. We appreciate the work that's being done internally uh, and the work that we've been doing throughout committees over the last number of months. Uh, we have concerns, and we are just as, as angry as anyone in terms of uh, the processes that were not taken that are appropriate in a procurement process. Uh, we also recognize that during the urgency of the pandemic and so much was happening and so much directions were taken to try to protect the border and, and the crossing of the border and the trade and all the other elements that come with that. But uh, no, we, uh, we welcome the recommendations. They've been, they've been implemented, most of them, and they're still ongoing. You, the, the pandemic has been used as sort of an explanation or an excuse for this, depending on how you want to describe it. But the Auditor General made pretty clear there are basic things that just didn't get done here. This isn't like CERB where it had to be rushed out the door and there was an expectation that some people would sign up for it who didn't qualify for it and didn't need it. This is the government's own people in two big departments not doing their job. And that's why we also have addressed this with the RCMP and we took those extra steps. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there is no excuse for when things falter. Um, we recognize that there was a lot of demands being placed upon the bureaucrats in order to get things done. Um, but no, we, we've actually taken extra steps with the accountability measures. Recognize, too, there's over 10,000 contracts that are done by uh, the government. So this 
component that was done in expeditiously were, were the ones that were uh, addressing. And there's a lot of um, misunderstanding as to how much was actually spent. So that is a concern to us, for sure. Well, we don't know how much was actually spent, right? I know the initial price tag was $80,000. Now, I know that's the development phase. And to have cloud servicing and, and you know protection of privacy was going to grow from there. But what is your sense, as someone who's on the committee studying this, and as a parliamentary secretary to the procurement minister, what this should have cost as opposed to what it may have cost? That's a Excellent question. And, and when we look at it, what would it cost had we not done it is even worse. It was billions of dollars at stake. And, of course, there was some paper transactions and other things that were, were, were being used that would never have been able to accommodate uh, the need that was, that was relevant for both health issues and cross-border trade issues. The Auditor General also recognizes that it was about $12 million in really uh, you know, there's misunderstanding, are those really a can or not? So there's questionable issues. And the reason she's questioning it and, and suggesting, well, let's put it all in can is because she can't distinguish between those that are ongoing elements of beyond can, like the $6 million that's been issued for immigration and an additional $6 million for other activities beyond can. But it, the application and the work that was done for can were essential, obviously for the protection of individuals and the trade and the cross-border. Well, 10,000 people were improperly quarantined. Uh, there is this controversy around consultants uh, who were involved in awarding themselves essentially contracts by setting the terms uh, of the contracting and then inviting the people they were doing the contracts with to whiskey tastings and dinners which were not disclosed. I mean, I appreciate that it's essential to have greater regulation of the border, but when, a, you know, when the people making these decisions in the department are going to dinner and getting liquor from the people they're doing yeah. business with, like, that is not essential in any way. So, David, we had those discussions around the, uh, the committee work as well. Yeah. I mean, we asked the witnesses directly uh, in terms of were they being conflicted? You know, were there activities engaged that was providing uh, preferential treatment to certain contractors? Remember now, the process of contracting and subcontracting in procurement is evident throughout industries, throughout governments throughout the previous uh, conservative government. In fact, the same player who we're talking about from GC Strategies, the same individual, was one of the major players from the conservative government days as well. But that doesn't excuse the activity that took place. What is important, the Auditor General made clear, is that no one got paid for work not done. Like, that's clear. The ombudsman made that very clear as well. Well, there was so, a question of whether they did as uh, much of the work as they should have. There are well, still questions on the remittances there. But the alternative was that there was no one to do the job. That was the issue. We didn't have the resources or the skill set within government to proceed to do the ArriveCAN application that was needed at the time. And she recognized that as well. Okay, I get that, that you may not have app developers and people like that in government, but you do have administrators who are supposed to administrate contracts and have backgrounds of that. And this is what, where the failing is. She's not necessarily criticizing the IT work. It's the, it's the paperwork and, and the process. We totally acknowledge that, and we've recognized that. That's why we've taken the steps internally to correct them. And she's appropriate. Those appropriate uh, issues that was revealed, and we accept that. So you were a minister of finance in the Ontario government. If you got a report like this on your department operating like this, this is two big agencies, right? The Public Health Agency of Canada, who sort of pushed it onto the CBSA to deal with. The Auditor General said she thought PHAC would have dealt with it. Turns out it was CBSA, but nobody really took control. Nobody set a budget. Nobody set a plan. I mean, what would you do to your department as a minister if you, if you saw this sort of an outcome? Well, the ministers in both departments are very acute to the issue, and they're taking appropriate actions to correct them. Certainly, uh, accountability is a big part of this. We want to make certain that those that are doing the work are held accountable and accordingly. 
And if there's allegations of misconduct, then those have to be corrected and dealt with appropriately as well. And those are, those are things that are being taken. That's what's being done. So there are two civil servants who are suspended without pay. Uh, for, they, over, they are central players in ArriveCam, but also allegations of other issues with another contract involving CBSA from their time there. But the Auditor General made the point that there's multiple levels here. Uh, of accountability and oversight and, and, uh, and, and, you know, responsibility for what happened here. What's the political responsibility from the elected arm of government to have something like this happen? I know she doesn't, it seems to be within CBSA, it seems to be within civil service from these findings, but ministers are ultimately responsible for what's happening in their agencies. The government took initiatives and put directives in place to deal with uh, the, the pandemic at the time. Uh, it was told that we needed to get these things expedited more, more quickly, and as a result, certain uh, measures weren't taken. And so the responsibility of government is, is to ensure that measures are properly taken. That wasn't done. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did get results in terms of getting CERB and SEBA uh, protections for Canadians, protections for those with jobs. Businesses were still running. Trade was initiating. People were being... Uh, cared for while a few and many were detained. So many more millions of Canadians were using the app to enable them to cross and be protected. And remember, without the app, we probably wouldn't have been able to address certain other countries that were also uh, doing trade and, and accessing us. So government has a responsibility to ensure that people are cared for, that trade is taken care of, that people are moving, that people are healthy. Those steps were taken, and those businesses and individuals that were at risk were protected. Notwithstanding the fact that the opposition opposed them, we took those measures. But the government's also responsible for managing the money of the country, managing the finances and making sure contracts are awarded properly. We have two civil servants suspended without pay while they're being investigated. Based on what you've seen, based on what you've heard from the Auditor General, do you think there's a possibility that people should lose their jobs over this? That'll be up to uh, the agencies. It'll be up to uh, the investigations by the RCMP and the internal investigation that's being done uh, by CBSA. So I'll leave them to do the work. I don't want to prejudice those outcomes. Uh, but absolutely, you have to be held account- accountable to your actions. We have to make sure that no one breaks the law. So this report is out. This is public. Uh, It's been called damning. It's been called scathing. People are running out of adjectives to describe the findings of Karen Hogan here. But there's another report the public hasn't seen. The CBSA report that was given to the committee that you sit on, the Government Operations Committee last week, uh, that led to the suspension of hearings because of the potential implications of what is in that report, and which uh, Mr. Johari, your, your colleague, referred to as scary. I'm assuming you've had that report, you've read that report. I know it's confidential, so you're not going to tell me what's in that report, but I wonder if you can help us understand what makes that report so scary compared to what we've seen from the Auditor General today. Is it even worse than what we saw today? Well, actually, what's really scary is the fact that that statement of facts that was provided to the committee, mm-hmm. to the chair, and to the clerk, week prior to Mr. Lefeur, who's the investigator, came before the committee. What's very scary is the fact that the opposition had a copy of that report. What's very scary is that it was told that it was confidential, you shouldn't be sharing it, and they were creating questions and illustrating to the investigator what was in the right, so obstructing his, opera, his, his work. That's the reason this took a pause, is because people were misappropriating and, and misusing information at hand. That was used confidentially, and certainly the president of CBSA cautioned us to do this in camera, which wasn't done. Mm-hmm. And those are the parts that prejudice the outcome. You know, witnesses were being approached by the opposition when there's an investigation underway. So those are the kind of things that have to be... And so things in that report, we need to provide integrity. 
and the integrity is best kept when we allow them to do their investigation and do their work. By prejudicing or by doing a lynching at the time of this situation, that's incorrect. We have to pause that. Look, I understand you want to protect the, protect the integrity of the process and the yes. investigation so no outcomes are in mind, but your, your colleague has called it scary. How would you describe what's in that report? How worried should Canadians be about what was found by the CBSA in this internal investigation of things? I, I think uh, that the, the work and the investigations that have taken place, what the work that's done by the, the Ombudsman and the Auditor General today, um, will lead us to a better outcome. I would say what's, what's found in the statement of facts is conduct that needs to ensure is, un, is not, it, it may be seen as unbecoming, and we have to make certain that that doesn't continue. Charles Sousa, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Public Services and Procurement. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Some breaking news to bring you now out of Washington. Donald Trump is asking the Supreme Court to halt his election interference trial, arguing he has presidential immunity. The CBC's Katie Simpson joins us now. So, Katie, this appeal was just filed last hour. What can you tell us? Uh, this has to do with Donald Trump's trial around allegations he tried to subvert the 2020 election. Um, efforts to overturn the results. Of course, Joe Biden won the 2020 vote in a free and fair election. Uh, but Donald Trump is facing four charges in relation to efforts to overturn those results, uh, leading up all the way to the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. Donald Trump's legal team was expected to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. An appeals court had previously said... No, you're not immune uh, from this. You are a citizen, Trump. You're not immune from uh, criminal charges. Uh, basically, Trump's legal team had argued, look, uh, these the alleged crimes took place while Donald Trump was still the president, and therefore they are official duties. If you charged every president who, who was carrying out official duties with crimes, you would basically weaponize the justice system, which Donald Trump has already been alleging for uh, quite some time now. Uh, but uh, an appeals court turned that down, and uh, Donald Trump is appealing it to the Supreme Court. Now, while this is going to the Supreme Court is going to determine uh, which way this is going to go, one thing that's a very uh, good thing for Donald Trump's reelection campaign and good from the perspective of his legal team is that they are trying to delay this trial. Originally, it was supposed to start in early March, uh, but that is now on hold. We don't have a new sort of date as to when it's going to kick off here in Washington, D.C., uh, right basically across the street from the U.S. Capitol, by the way. It's, it's quite the juxtaposition there. A reminder of what happened. Um, uh, but this uh, is, a, is likely going to delay things further as uh, the, the Supreme Court will take its Supreme Court sweet time. Okay, uh, th the location of that is an interesting little detail there, Katie. Okay, so turning to other Trump news, and there seems to be no shortage of it, uh, he's also drawing international criticism. After saying this weekend at a campaign rally, he said this about NATO and some of its members. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. Okay, Katie, that's, that's quite the thing. Uh, tell us about the international reaction to that comment. 
Uh, it's exactly what you would expect, David. There is concern, uh, deep levels of concern, particularly among European allies. Uh, but also, this is certainly getting attention in Canada. The vast majority, about two-thirds of NATO country members, don't actually meet their defense spending targets. Now, the way that Donald Trump characterizes how defense spending works when it comes to NATO and NATO membership, he mischaracterizes it. He sort of sums it up as, as like, dues. Uh, it doesn't work like that. All of these countries agree uh, to... they pledge to spend 2% of their GDP on defense spending. Canada falls short of that and is, is not going to get close to that, um, But uh, the, even though there have been increases in spending. But uh, a number of our colleagues in Ottawa today pressed Bill Blair about whether Canada should be concerned about what Trump is saying, uh, given Canada's reliance on the United States for defense, it, not just through NATO, but, you know, just defense uh, in terms of the, the, the relationship between countries that, that cross border relationship. Uh, Bill Blair, the Minister of Defense, brushed it off as campaign talk. There is a, a political election and debate going on in another country. Those We're going to hear you know, rhetorical statements um, that I, I don't think we need to overreact to, but I, th I think we need to make sure that we are prepared and that we continue to keep our, our alliances strong. So European leaders are reacting a little differently today. Some are saying, look, we can't jump every time uh, there's a development in the U.S. election campaign, but uh, we are hearing some concern. Um, some European leaders are saying, look, every minute that passes is a minute that we could pre be preparing uh, for the possibility that the United States is not there to support NATO allies in the face of Russian aggression. Uh, and we're hearing from some European leaders that this is only going to embolden Russian President Vladimir Putin who's already waging a war with his invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Frankly, I think this is exactly what Putin lo loves to hear. Uh, you know, our strength is our unity. Uh, and if, if we're not united, that makes us weaker. Uh, I think the conclusion has to be written already now that Europe uh, needs to be stronger uh, and we need, to do, we need to be able to do more on our own. Okay, uh, so that's a view from Europe. But, you know, Katie, what's the reaction been among Republicans and, and amongst some of Trump's supporters here? Well, Trump had a court appearance today unrelated to the Supreme Court issue. He was down in Florida for uh, an update hearing on his uh, on the uh, documents trial. There's so many trials sometimes you just have to take a minute to think about which trial it is. Uh, no, the classified documents trial. And outside the courthouse, uh, we saw Trump supporters out there in full force, wearing their tank tops, waving their flags, blasting music. They were there to greet Donald Trump's motorcade. So it's business as usual in Trump world, at least uh, for the signs that we see from the outside. We're also seeing members of the Republican establishment either dismiss Donald Trump's claims or, or get behind them. We know there's a growing Republican resistance to providing support for Ukraine. Uh, there's a part of the Trump base that is fascinated by Vladimir Putin. Donald Trump has shown uh, that he likes Vladimir Putin. Just take a look at the comments that we, we heard today and previous statements in admiring uh, strongman dictators. That's the, what Donald Trump has said very publicly for years years now. And then we're seeing, you know, members of the Republican establishment, some of them, including Senator Marco Rubio from Florida, you know, saying, listen, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Trump is not like any other politician. He says stuff. I can't believe we're going through this again. Um, Trump has expressed frustration with NATO partners in the past about not meeting their funding goals. Heck, even Barack Obama, previous presidents have done it as well. Barack Obama coming to Canada in 2016, uh, making a, a different, more diplomatic and polite 
right push, delivering a speech to Parliament saying the world needs more Canada, NATO needs more Canada. Um, it didn't work then to get Canada to hit its funding goals now. And the way that Bill Blair responded, I don't think Trump's threats now are going to get Canada to hit those targets either. All right, Katie, thanks so much. That's the CBC's Katie Simpson in Washington. Canada's Auditor General has released a scathing report on the development of the ArriveCan app during the pandemic. We didn't find records to accurately show how much was spent on what, who did the work, or how and why contracting decisions were made. This is probably some of the worst financial record keeping that I've seen. The federal government launched the app in April 2020. It was a way to manage travel during the COVID-19 pandemic. Its initial price tag was just $80,000, but the cost of the app soared to more than $59 million. It drew a lot of complaints from travelers and the airline industry, as critics said the app was confusing and frustrating, causing delays getting into Canada. Then, in 2022, a glitch sent more than 10,000 people erroneous messages saying they needed to quarantine. But the biggest controversy came from a Globe and Mail story on how the app was built. It found the government contracted the work to a two-person firm, and that firm subcontracted the work to six other companies. Now, questions about who's responsible for the ArriveCan controversy drove debate in the House of Commons today. This was a government program we warned wasn't needed, wouldn't work, and now we know it went 750 times over budgets. Won't the Prime Minister admit the app is just like him, not worth the cost? Why are the Liberals so obsessed with making rich consultants richer? Anybody who did not follow the contracting rules, Mr. Speaker, will be held to account. All right, we're going to discuss all of this with the Monday Power Panel. Lisa Raitt is a former Conservative Cabinet Minister. Brad Levine is a former Communications Director for the NDP. And here with me in the studio, Vandana Cotter is a former advisor to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And Rob Russo is the former CBC Parliamentary Bureau Chief. All right, gang, uh, a lot to talk about there. Rob, uh, start with you. You know, the Auditor General made a point to saying just because you're in an emergency, it doesn't mean you can cut every corner. And what she found here and what we don't know yet that the CBSA internal report and the RCMP have um, promises to create a very poor picture of what happened with ArriveCan. Yeah, here's where the, the position that the government's in today. Uh, they, they're faced between a choice of admitting incompetence or the, facing the potential of corruption. That's their choice. Where they, uh, and, and the best choice they have right now is admitting that there was incompetence. That's a bad day for any government. It's a bad day in, in particular for a government that uh, is trying to roll out some national cost-shared programs uh, it, it raises questions and has a corrosive effect on whether or not they're competent enough to have those questions. And it also, quite frankly, raises questions about what else might uh, might have happened when when there are a couple of or several hundred billion dollars spent uh, in, in an emergency fashion. What else might be out there? I've always thought that it would be a healthy thing for Canada to do to have an inquiry on the government's response to the pandemic. Not because necessarily we're going to look for more of these. There probably will be more of these. Uh, but this is another reason for having that. When you spend several hundred billion dollars, you want to know whether or not you got value for money 
And whether or not you're prepared for the next time something like this happens, I think that, that would be a, a worthy thing for the opposition to call for. Right. So, so, so Vandana, you know, the, the big programs in, in the pandemic were, you know, income supports, broad application things, and there were problems with that. And the government announced with CERB, we know there's going to be some problems here right off the bat. This is different, though. Mm-hmm. This is individuals who have to administer contracts, some of them who are being invited to dinners and whiskey tastings, now on suspension without pay, you know, outside consultants being involved in the drafting of the bidding terms for contracts that they later won. None of this speaks well of how CVSA or PHAC uh, were running things on this one. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, this is, you know, it's really unfortunate to find all this mismanagement, you know, at the time, especially during such a critical time in the country. You know, there was a global pandemic. You know, the government's trying to take care of things on a number of fronts, support people if they possible. In, you know, the face of calls by, you know, opposition members and conservatives across about, like, should we close borders? We should close borders. You know, this was meant to be a solution for that and to make sure that people had preclearance, that people are vaccinated and can protect their own citizens. So it is unfortunate that it has come through. I know that the head of CBSA has said they've implemented also uh, a number of measures already. Uh, and then I assume that they're going to put together, they're going to, you know, comply with whatever the AG has said, but, you know, it doesn't look good overall. And it, it just shows poorly that the government was there at a time when, um, you know, Canadians need the most and, you know, the public server has to answer to that. So, so Lisa, we, we asked the Auditor General in our interview, and she was asked several times today about where sort of the accountability for this lies. And her answers kind of kept it within this, the bureaucracy uh, of of the CBSA in, in particular. Obviously, we're seeing the Conservatives trying to pin it on Justin Trudeau, as they do with everything that, that goes wrong. Um, is it contained to the CBSA? I mean, how much of a, a political consequence is there here uh, for the government on this? So the CBSA still reports into a minister, as does PHAC, as does Public Works in general. And I, David, what's the affectionate name you use for Dominic LeBlanc? I was trying to figure that the out. Minister again. of Janitorial Affairs. That's his job. Yeah, well, I think there are three ministers who should be very grateful that Dominic LeBon is going to be handling the questions on their behalves because this should be a very hot seat for all of them. It's Minister of Public Works, Minister of Health, and Minister of Public Safety all had responsibility to ensure that something like this was contracted properly, was properly rolled out, and actually didn't make mistakes like the one that they did make. And all three of them should be appearing at committee explaining what role they had. Where are the deputy ministers in all of this? Um, I I don't know about an inquiry that Rob talks about. I think that does make sense. Separate and apart from that, I really would like to understand from the ministers uh, why they felt it would be okay not to, I guess, manage this particular aspect of procurement, which they should have known was going to be fraught with difficulties. Do we learn nothing from Phoenix? Yes. And, but, you know, Brad, I wonder, uh, and I am not in any way trying to minimize $60 million, but compared to all the other money that was flying around in COVID, this was a pretty small bit of it, though the app itself was an important project in terms of the, the function it was supposed to, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to provide. So why wasn't that, do you think, given a greater level of oversight than what we've seen here? It seems to have been sort of you know, uh, left without direction, without a budget, without planning uh, for CBSA to handle, and here we are today with this giant mess. Well, it's not just the absence of, of plans and receipts that the auditor uh, revealed today. Anytime a vendor is invited to give the scope of what will inevitably be uh, the award, that is the contract to go to, uh, that, that doesn't pass mustard irrespective if we're in a pandemic or not. 
it's like all of the fundamentals that are in place. We have a very mature civil service, you know, peace, order, and good government. Uh, we should be proud, uh, by and large, of, of our institution. That is, uh, you know, ensuring that programs get, get um, implemented properly. Uh, you know, we're, we're not a third world nation who's still struggling to get programs off. But this, and what the auditor said today, was that there was, like, there's no new reasons for new rules because the existing rules weren't followed. And in fact, she said in the report that she doesn't even know where some of the money went to. So it was a complete collapse of, of, the, of the federal civil service here. So yes, should ministers be responsible? I completely agree with Lisa. We have a ministerial responsible form of government in this country, and there, there has to be where the buck stops, and that's with the elected officials. But fundamentally, it, you know, th this civil service cratered. And the question becomes, unless, unless somebody's taken a task, and it's more than just a couple of guys uh, who are on unpaid leave right now, there needs to be some, some heads rolled here because uh, there was tens of millions of dollars that uh, we didn't, you know, we don't know where it went to. And that's, that's fundamentally at the core today. Incompetence uh, versus corruption, I would say that that would be a good day if Canadians render uh, what happened here incompetent versus corrupt, because I think most Canadians are going to be 50-50. Chiefs, uh, 49ers, oh. I think a lot of Canadians are going to be, uh, you know, uh, sitting on the fence on this one. It could be either or. Okay, we have to cut Brad's mic for the rest of the segment. <laughs> He's just triggering me about the Super Bowl loss. But, but uh, Rob, look, it's never good for a sitting government when the opposition incredibly put the word scam at the end uh, of something else. And this mm -hmm. is what they've been able to do with Arrive Can has become Arrive Scam. The RCMP is investigating uh, you know, the cast of characters who were involved with this, but also another uh, contract that, uh, that has uh, raised some concerns. And, you know, we had Charles Sousa uh, on earlier. His committee, the Government Operations Committee, has been handed a report by the CBSA, their internal review of things, that one of the Liberal MPs on the committee called scary. Right. So it sounds like there's a whole lot more waiting to come out on this thing that, that is going to make a bad day a worse day down, down the road. If there was... Uh, one thing that was disappointing about uh, Karen Hogan's report, and it not, might not be her fault, but it was frustrating uh, to not have answers to a whole bunch of things. For, for instance, who hired GC Strategies? CBSA apparently said that they didn't do it. How did it get hired? How did it, this small firm get hired for this big job? There are a lot of questions. Hopefully, hopefully that comes out in the review that's being done by uh, by other people, including the review that's being done by the RCMP. Mm -hmm. That, if I was a, a liberal, that would be the report that I would be fearing most. Uh, some of us are old enough to remember uh, around this time in the uh, Jean Chrétien regime, right. uh, ten, uh, nine or ten years in, uh, the, the sponsorship scandal came out. So far, this is not the sponsorship scandal, but the question of the RCMP hanging over the Liberal government brings it into that realm. At the end of a long time, Liberal government problems came in, uh, and it, it proved to be near fatal. Yeah, Antonio Utano is the person who signed it. Uh, he was in CBSA at the time, left to take a job at the Canada Revenue That's Agency right. as one of the civil servants who is now on, on uh, unpaid leave. But, Vandana, the, the issue around this is we know who signed the contract, but there is no evidence or documents or anything to explain how this company got was picked to, to do it. Then we find out they were involved in, 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 in crafting another contract that they want, and then there's the dinner invites and whiskey tastings uh, with the people who are now on suspension. What does all of this say about the government's reliance on outside contractors? Because this is not the first time we've seen this uh, raised as an issue here. Well, it's not just the reliance on outside contractors. It's, um, you know, 
there's a lot of wonderful people I worked with in the public service when I was in government. Um, but you know, you have deputy ministers, assistant ministers, you have director generals. There's so many things that are in this piece of the bureaucracy that you really have to get down to where did everything fall apart, right? Mm -hmm. So where do we get the answer? So you have two people who said they're on paid leave, but you know, who signs off on that? Who signs off on that? Who signs off on that? By the time it gets to the minister's office, you know, you see all these checks, like you don't actually know, you know, you trust the public servant to do their job. So I think there's a number of questions that still have to be answered on that. I know there's an ongoing, you know, I think investigation within the CBSA as well, and we'll have to see what comes out of that. But, you know, I think it kind of goes to what happens in like an emergency and do we have the right checks in there? I know there's more to come on, on fixing those measures, but you know, I think there's still a bit of a on that. Lisa, you know, walk us through the minister's role in, in moments like this. I mean, you, you've had agencies you know, reporting to departments that you were a cabinet minister in. You don't have line of sight into every contract, and the totality of these contracts builds up to a big number, but individually, when they're all broken out, some of them can be quite small. And at a time like COVID, I mean, how much awareness do, do the political people and the ministerial staff have of this level of activity in an agency or a department? Yeah, I tried to do a little bit of research to see who it was that announced the Arrive Can app. And I think it was a number of ministers mm -hmm. who stood up to say this is a great thing. And the Arrive Can app wasn't just an idea. It was a fundamental piece of infrastructure to allow for people to enter into this country. They had to do it in order to be able to move back and forth across the border. Right. And it had to do with the United States as well as other parts of the, of the world. And as a result, it's more than just a $60 million project or an $80,000 procurement. It was something fundamentally important to the COVID-19 process that was in place at the time that was facilitating trade. That's why you saw Omar Alagabra involved, Marco Mendicino was involved, Anita Anand was involved, mm -hmm. Dominic LeBlanc was involved, Patty Hyde was involved. I mean, the list is there. It's the full cast of characters because they understood the importance of this issue. If it's so important, then why didn't they pay more attention to it? That's the part that I can't understand. You talk about the line of sight. I can accept and understand that a minister may lose sight of how much money it's costing, but certainly the other aspects of it, how it's progressing, who has the contract, which, where is it going, what part of the country got the contract, these things are important. And it's just too important a piece of infrastructure for the bigger issue of transporter um, travel than to say that it was just, you know, $65 million. Right. Yeah. Uh, Brad, quick last word to you, then we're going to switch topics here. Yeah, well, I, I think it's very important here. Like, for all those folks who received uh, aid, uh, small businesses, individuals, we all have to show paperwork. It's not like they just, you know, throw the check and say, you know, what. there has to be the same standard needs to be applied here that we're just because we're in a pandemic doesn't mean you have to uh, you know the absence of due diligence uh, was done so you know not letting anybody off that is why like the the, the the excuse that this is incompetence can't play like nobody wakes up and says we're in a pandemic don't send me the receipts no paper trail whatsoever which is why this suggests that there's uh, the other side of the coin here is is uh, is at play and i look forward to the rcmp's investigation yeah if you're one of those people who's told after the fact you didn't qualify for serb or yeah. and you have to pay it back you're looking at this and saying come on guys yeah. like what the really hell, right exactly yeah, yeah exactly. exactly all right uh, we're out of time we got to leave it there i want to thank the power panel rob russo vanda Cotter, brad levine and lisa Wright. thanks so much gang thank you
That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.